invite you to keep your hymnals open or in front of you tonight as we look at Lord's Day 26 of the Heidelberg Catechism, looking at the sacrament of baptism, also looking in God's Word to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Remember the writers have, uh, we we were looking at the history of this last time we were in the catechism together, where to put the sacraments, where should the sacraments be considered in the uh, teaching in the church, and they saw a need for the sacraments to be considered, for there were many faulty notions concerning the sacraments, what they were, what they could do, did they have power to save, did they have power to to convey uh, grace. There was some teaching in the church that was uh, confusing the people. Indeed, it was the, the teaching of the church that the church was the administrator of grace, the offerer of grace and salvation through the sacraments, having some sort of power in them. God declares, no, in fact, the sacraments are given that the gospel might Gospel promises might be more clearly seen. That's how the catechism writers speak of this, the the Scripture's teaching. They put this treatment of the sacraments right after that treatment on how is one right with God. You remember we we talked about that. It says back in uh, the uh, question answer 65, reminding us as we come into the sacraments, it is by faith alone that we are right with God. Then echoing back to question and answer 60, how are you right with God? By faith alone alone, setting the context then for the consideration of the sacraments to help us get our heads on straight to see clearly when talking about the sacraments. We want to know that they point to to God and what He has done. I want to read them responsively tonight. Lord's Day 26, I will read the questions. You respond with the answers, starting at question 69, page 883, in the back of your hymnals, page 883. Question 69, how does holy baptism remind and assure you that Christ's one sacrifice on the cross benefits you personally? The answer, in this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it promised that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and his spirit wash away my soul's impurity That is, all my sins. Question 70, what does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? The answer, to be washed with Christ's blood means that God, by grace, has forgiven our sins because of Christ's blood poured out for us in His sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with Christ's spirit means that the Holy Spirit has renewed and sanctified us to be members of Christ, so that more and more we die to sin and live holy and blameless lives. Question 71. Where does Christ promise that we are washed with His blood and Spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? The answer, in the institution of baptism, where He says... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. 
This promise is repeated when Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. Now look with me at Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul has been explaining that death has come to all because all sinned in Adam and therefore are under the curse for sin, which is death. He says in verse 12 of Romans 5, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Adam was our representative. He goes on to say that God sent another man. Verse 15, he says that the man, Christ Jesus, has come as a second Adam, as the one who faced testing and temptation and perfectly passed all tests and trials, one who was without sin. Whereas the sin of Adam brought the sinner, brought condemnation, the death of Christ brought justification. Verse 16 of Romans 5, the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment followed one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Then verses 18 and 19, therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Whereas by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. A sinner is declared righteous by believing in God's sacrifice for sinners. Paul builds his argument here in the book of Romans. He's teaching on grace, that it is all of grace And there are those who then would accuse him of teaching the fact that it doesn't matter then how we live. It doesn't matter if we live lives that are what we would call clean, free from sin, accusing him of this matter. And that is where we enter into our passage this evening, Romans chapter 6, looking at verses, beginning at verse 1. This is the Word of God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, God forbid. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we had been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin, once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign. 
in your mortal body to make you obey its passions? Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is the Word of God. May He add His blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this evening. Dear congregation, the writers of the Catechism want us to understand that the sacrament of baptism has been given to us as a reminder and assurance. The title of tonight's sermon is really stating what we should understand or what we want to understand from our consideration of Lord's Day 26 tonight. Remember who you are. We're speaking of identity. Baptism speaks of identity. Paul saw many converts. This, these are first-generation believers, you understand. So we're, we're seeing a lot of adult baptisms in this context because these are, the gospel has gone out, and this is a first-generation church. He sees many converts in his missionary journeys, and he reminds them of who they are. Remember how he opens this book, Romans chapter 1, verse 7. He says, this is who you are. You are loved by God and called to be holy, saints. That is the identity that we have as those in Christ. God has given a righteousness that is apart from law in His Son. We who believe might be found in Him that we might no longer live in sin, but live in newness of life. Tonight, that idea of identity. Two points. Identified as washed and forgiven, and identified as those raised to new life. Identified as washed and forgiven, and identified as those raised to new life. We've witnessed several baptisms recently, and there are more to come. Very often, as we, as it's our practice in baptism, we read the form, we remind ourselves what baptism says about that little one, but as we read the form, we are reminded of what baptism says to us. We're reminded of our identity Listen to how the catechism writers put it. How does baptism, holy baptism, benefit you personally? Question 69. How does it benefit you personally? Baptism reminds us that Christ's blood was shed to wash away our sins. The reminder. It assures us, the writers put it this way in the answer, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it promised that as surely as water washes away dirt from the body, so certainly His blood and His Spirit wash away my soul's impurity, my sin. Our guilt is gone in Christ. We are those who are washed. His sacrifice has paid for all our sins. John says it this way in 1 John Chapter 5, he says, He who has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Those who are in Christ by faith have life, are cleansed from all their guilt. Those who are apart from Him remain under condemnation. Remember your baptism. 
One of the cries of the Reformation. It had a different meaning for, the, for those who were protesting against the church of that day, the Roman church. It did not mean remember what baptism does to you and, and for you. It says remember what God has done. It's a sign and seal reminding and assuring us what God promises through Christ's death. The focus for forgiveness was in Christ. When we witness baptism, we remember that God has done the saving, the cleansing. Our identity is wrapped up in Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 7, he says, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. We've been bought back. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He has washed us through Christ's blood. In Him, God's wrath against sin was satisfied. A propitiation, Paul says in Romans 3, verse 25. Robert Murray McShane used to say to his congregation as he was speaking to them about the the importance of, of salvation, where to look to find assurance, to remember, he said, for every one look that you take at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. The point he was making is, don't Fixate on what you've done, are doing, or will do, or have done. Look to Christ that you might remember, that you might be assured that in Him you have been washed of your sin. Every time you see a baptism, you're called to remember. To remember who you are. We don't baptize the child in front of the congregation so that we might see the child, but that God's promises might be heard to us and to our children so that we might remember and proclaim the graciousness of God in Christ Jesus. When one comes to faith in the adult years, he or she receives that sign as well for a reminder, a certifier of the gospel promise that as surely as water washes away dirt from the body, so Christ's blood washes away sin from the soul. It is God's work. It is not maturity of faith that is the ground for baptism. It is God's promise to us and to our children. It speaks when we administer that sign and seal to children of God's divine work, of His promise, the originator of spiritual life, not of ourselves. God makes covenant with us and our children, as we'll see, Lord willing, in the next Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism. He says, I will be your God, you will be my people. I will forgive your sins. I will give myself for your sins. When Christ called his disciples to go, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them that they might be identified as those who have been washed by the blood of Christ. That the institution of our Lord Question 70 then comes before us. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means that God, by grace, has forgiven our sins because of Christ's blood poured out for us in His sacrifice on the cross. 
sign of circumcision in the Old Testament identified God's people and pointed forward to the blood that would be shed for the forgiveness of sins. It was not the sign which saved. Remember how Paul speaks of it in Romans chapter 4. When he speaks of Abraham, he says, Abraham was declared righteous before God before he was circumcised, for he believed God and his faith was credited as righteousness. And he received the sign as identified in God, one whose sins were washed away, for he believed God and his promise. Believing in obedience to God, he took that sign upon himself to be identified as one washed and forgiven by God. John in the Revelation hears it this way. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before His throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. There is the focal point. We are washed by His blood. God reminds us, calls us to take the sign and seal and place it upon our children. Receiving the sign was a reminder that God would work salvation. God works salvation. His seal upon His promise. When Paul and Silas were freed from jail by God's act through a Uh, an earthquake. Remember what the Philippian jailer did. He found them that they were still there. They had not run away, not escaped. And he asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And upon profession of faith, they were in the home of the jailer and they baptized him and his household. The sign and seal of baptism administered to him and to his household. The first half of question or answer 70 is that which speaks of washing. The second half, what does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's spirit means that the Holy Spirit has renewed and sanctified us to be members of Christ so that more and more we die to sin and live holy and blameless lives. We're identified as those who are washed and forgiven and we are identified as those who are raised to new life. Christ's blood, if you will, is over the doorpost of our lives, and the Spirit, the Spirit of God now lives within. What Paul is saying, what is, what is Paul saying in, in Romans 6? He's saying, remember who you are. Listen to his words again, Romans 6, starting in verse 4. We were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, there's the clause, in order that, just as Christ was raised we too might walk in newness of life. How are we raised? By the glory of God, not of our own doing. That's the intervening clause. If we've been united with Him, or we might use the word there, since we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified. There's the clause again. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, but slaves of righteousness, he goes on to say later in the sixth chapter. For one who has died has been set free from sin, the power of sin, the 
curse of sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, again, since we have died with Christ to those who are believers, we believe that we will also live with Him. Baptism reminds us that we were raised to new life. We're no longer what we once were. Children, when your parents take the car to the car wash and get all the mud and dirt off and the car is all clean, it looks like a new car. It looks like a new automobile. Well, that's the picture that we should, we should have. And as we're thinking of baptism, when we're washed, we should think, well, there's the, the dirt, the, the grime of sin is gone and we are to live new lives. We're new people, made new by God. To be united to Christ means that we share in His life. He washes us of sin. If we've died with Him to sin, we believe we will also live with Him in newness of life. We are not slaves to sin. We have been set free to live for God. We heard that this morning. Ordered liberty. Not just freedom. Not just liberty to do whatever we want. But ordered liberty. Ordered by the one who has made us. To live for Him. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians as well. In, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It's a very radical term. It's not a, just a, 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 a Boot, boot up 2.0, but a new creation from death to life. The old is gone, the new has come. To be washed by Christ's Spirit is that renewal. The writers of the Catechism capture Scripture's teaching when they say that the Holy Spirit has renewed and sanctified us to be members of Christ. New creation. To understand that you are joined to Christ helps when thinking about what actions you take in life. Remember who you are. Remember who you represent. Perhaps when the teenager goes out the door the first time on their own, particularly at that age, we say, remember who you are. Remember who you represent. Remember that you might live accordingly. But that's true for all of us at every stage of life. Remember, remember, let me put it in very concrete terms. If you know that you're joined with Christ, would you take him to the bar to get drunk? He's with you. You're united to him. Do you take him with you into sin? You are with Christ. You are new in Him, united to Him. Would you take Him with you to look at pornography on your computer or your phone? Paul makes the very clear point. This is not a stretch. What he says to the Corinthians is, would you take Christ with you and unite Him to a prostitute? They were saying, it doesn't matter what I do in my body. And he says, oh yes, it does. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are no longer your own. First Corinthians chapter 6. You live a new life in Him as one sanctified by His Spirit. You remember the Israelites' unfaithfulness as it's recorded in the Old Testament. One, one example in particular that I want to 
mention tonight is Numbers 25. What had happened? Balaam had been called to curse the Israelites. He, he, was, he was brought by Balak and he was told curse the Israelites and he refused because God would not let him. And then he, but he did say there is a way to bring God's anger upon the people. Get them to commit immorality. Get them to worship the other gods. For from what I've seen, what I understand, that's the way to God's judgment. He didn't quite understand it in all of its in all of its richness. God disciplines those he loves that they might not be led astray to their destruction. But certainly God will judge those who refuse him and reject him. What was going on there and, and through many instances in, in Old Test in the Old Testament? The people were forgetting who they were. They were forgetting who they represented. They were uniting Christ, as it were, to false gods. And saying, well, this is okay. Christ with us. He'll understand. We're simply just, this is just part of our daily living. We, we serve these other gods. What? We saw this morning very clearly in Genesis. He says, I alone am God. And you are my people. I will not share my glory with another. We're told that they're engaging in sexual immorality there in Numbers 25 with the Moabites. One man is so bold as to bring his unbelieving wife into the temple to, as one commentator puts it, consummate his marriage. And Phinehas comes and strikes them down. It's inexplicable. We don't know exactly what Moses was thinking at this point, but they're, they're just like, what's happening? How could this happen? Things had degraded to an atrocious state. It seemed to be some sort of paralysis among the leadership as to know what to do. And as I read this account, I, I, I was struck by the fact that this characterizes much of the laxity in the North American church today. When we say, this is who you are in Christ, we say, oh yeah, we're that, but we can also do this Monday through Saturday, and if Christ is along with us, if Christ is along with us, if, if, no, Christ is with us, oh, it doesn't matter, we can still do these things. No, we can't. We're new. Many sinful behaviors today being accepted, tolerated in the church though, by those who identify themselves as Christian, stating that God has made them this way, that these desires are of Him, and that His grace has a place for such sinful activity. His grace has a place? What a distortion. That's not grace. God does not baptize immorality and say, grace. He calls us to repent of what the Bible calls sin. Baptism reminds us that we're washed with Christ's Spirit. 
And we'll live as those who are renewed and sanctified by Christ's Spirit, dying to sin as defined by Scripture. Sin as defined by Scripture, not as defined by whomever wants to give some 21st century definition. That we'll seek to live holy and blameless lives. When Paul heard what was going on in Corinth, he wrote them several times to address their sinful behavior and understanding. He reminded them that they were called to be saints. Same opening in the letter to the Corinthians. Called to be saints. Sanctified in Christ. As those who are to put off all sin and expel those who refuse to submit to God's instruction. Baptized. And as those who have been baptized, they ought not to want to go back to wallowing in the mud or the pigsty of sin. He declares that the unrighteous would not inherit the kingdom of God. He was not talking about justification when he's, when he's declaring this. He's, he's recognizing, he says just a few chapters earlier, that God, God uh, uh, justifies the wicked. Romans 5, 4 verse 5. Not that. He's saying that, that those whom God justifies, He also sanctifies. Christ is with us. Persistence in sin does not mean someone has come to a deeper experience of grace, a deeper understanding, but that one has not understood that grace saves and sanctifies. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's the passage I'm referring to, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Not those who live in such sin, identifying themselves as, well, that's just grace that covers all of that. And then he says this in verse 11, and this is what I want us to focus on. Such were some of you. That's what you were. But you were washed. Do you recognize that when you go out cleansed by the Spirit of God to be witnesses for God, to the glory of God? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Using that word gives us the picture of baptism. You were washed. He says those things I've just listed used to characterize you, but you were washed in Christ, sanctified in Him. These things are not your identity. This reminds us of Paul's words in Romans 6, verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, so, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. There's the application. It's right there. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death 
to life. It's a radical picture. So when it seems hard to believe, we need the scriptures to remind us that that's in fact what has happened. Baptism reminds us who we are. It reminds us that Christ's blood cleanses us and Christ's spirit lives in us and we can no longer live in the pigsty of sin. That's what the prodigal son tried to do. He tried to take his inheritance from his father and unite it to that which was unholy, squandering his riches in a faraway place. That's the picture. He's squandering the riches the father had given him upon things that cannot bring life and certainly would not clean him up or give him that which he most desired. He was unsatisfied, discontent to the point where he was willing to eat the the feed for the pigs. And then it says he came to his senses. He came to his right mind. And he realized that he needed to go back to his father and plead for a place in his house. And you know the rest of the story. The father sees him from a long ways off, runs to him, then hugs him and says to his, uh, to his entourage, he says, put a robe on him. Cover him. Put a ring on his finger, inheritance. Put shoes on his feet that he might walk in the truth. Shoes that walk the path of the Lord. He's ready to receive his rebellious son to provide what the son could not provide for himself, what he could not find, what he could not find somewhere else. Friends, that's what God reminds us of and assures us of in baptism. He has washed us in Christ's blood, removing our guilt. He has brought us near, crediting the righteousness of Christ to us that we might come into his presence. The call then is to remember who you are and what God has done. To believe and know that eternal life is yours in Christ Jesus. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. Now live. (laughs) Live in that life. Represent the Lord before the watching world. Cleanse others with the life-giving Word of God that they might be washed as the Spirit uses that Word to convict of faith or of sin, to draw them to faith in Christ. We go. We live that new life because we're not what we once were. We're a new creation to live to God's glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrament of baptism which speaks of washing. That We can be reminded that our sins, the guilt of our sins, is washed away. We're washed by Christ's Spirit. We are those who are made new. We are those who no longer live in the pigsty of sin, in the muck and the mire in the dirt and the grime, we turn rather in the power of the Spirit away from that which is, which is of the old life to newness of life. We are new creations. We are those who more and more want to live for you, for your glory. Help us to do that in this new week. And may we grow in joy and thanksgiving for all that you have done. 
Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.